Hey, what's up, everybody? Yep. So, second episode of the PH Journals. I'm pretty pumped. I've got my good friend, yeah, Kwe Prince Lu um, from Langsau's Meats. He's going to be discussing uh, a lot to do with the grass-fed cattle and something it's it's relatively new in South Africa and stuff. So, everybody's just getting a grass with it. He's yet to tell us a little bit more about it. Um, we discuss other topics like land invasion with or land expropriation without compensation, what the recent drought did for our farmers here yeah, in South Africa and then obviously um, the the political side of things as well so um, yeah keep tuned um, I just got to give a big shout out to Laura Harvey um, my cousin uh, she's doing a fantastic job on my website at the moment so like I said in the first podcast I'm hoping to have that up and running in June so keep a lookout for that that's that's coming up soon um, yeah really excited got a good few things first hunts in the bag uh, it's been in done and dusted um we had a really really good hunt um i was happy with the animals we got a little bit frustrating at times but it was it was more good than bad anything else i, I really enjoyed it was something special so yeah i'll be heading off at the end of the month again to try this all over i've got an interesting thing we'll be doing a green hunt um and hopefully some buffalo and stuff like that with a bow um yeah I just got to give everybody that's supported me thus far, um, that's liked my podcasts, that's done a lot of those sort of things, um, shared, liked, got involved. I really appreciate it. It it goes a long way. Uh, it helps um, with everything. So yeah, you know, it's something new I've been trying to do, and I'm really enjoying it. So I just want to thank you guys for all the love. So yeah. Um, without further ado, sit back, relax, and um, enjoy the show. Good Prince Lou, everybody. Okay, guys, so joined you now on the second episode of PH Journals um, with my good friend, Quit. Quit, how's it going? Oh, well, and you, Dill? No, very well. Okay, so just let's get back into it and uh, just tell us where you, like, what do you do, uh, where you came from, and how did you get into the farming industry? Mm, yes, um, I was born and bred in Queenstown. I'm the sixth generation farm farmer um, on the f- uh, ground that we currently farm. My dad's a dentist, so we did move around a bit, but I was schooled at Marlow Agricultural School and after that, I wanted to pursue a career in um, accounting. So I went to university, studied accounting. But yeah, growing up on the farm and having land to our exposure, you know, it was a no-brainer. I came back, became a teacher at the local school, Queen's College, Boys High School. And uh, a year into it, the farm just drawed me back. Eh? Um, got very excited when my dad asked me if I wanted to rejoin him. I still carried on coaching, but we started building what we have today together you know but uh with with the recent drought probably one of the worst south africa's ever seen and stuff how has that affected you guys from going forward uh, especially now with winter upon us now has it affected you yes yes definitely i mean uh we're lucky in what we do we'll get to uh, how our systems run but we're fortunate in queenstown to have very reactive felt you know our pastures react extremely well so there were tough times, but we could pull through. And when the rain came, you know, our pastures recovered so quickly that 
we are a little bit fortunate, I can say, um, in our area in Queenstown, uh, the farmers that are in this venture with us, all of us managed to pull through quite well. And that also speaks volumes to the farming practices that we have put in place. So uh, from that point of view, we con can consider ourselves very lucky. Well, tell us, like, what is it exactly that you do? Is it something different uh, from what us? What I can hear, it's a lot different in South Africa. It's not very used to this whole grass-fed thing, and especially the way we're going now with everything being more healthier and stuff. So just give us a little bit of a background on the grass-fed. Well, we got into it by chance, you know. Um, in 2015, um, my dad had a oxen on the ground. So oxen are basically steers that were castrated, but we keep them... Um, longer sell them when they are three to four years old in our classification system it says it's a b grade or a c grade um, and the reason being is that we farm close to the um, old homelands the siskai and the transkai here in queenstown so we've got a lot of marginal felt where we border on uh, communal lands so a lot of the farmers still kept oxen to use that marginal felt in the mountains and that and by chance, my grandfather's been doing it for years. My father's been doing it for years. And even the other farmers around us in this area have also been doing it. So we felt at that stage that we weren't getting the premium for keeping an animal so long and raising him on natural grass pastures all its life that we met up with a butcher in, in Cape Town. My dad went to see him. And in 2015, we started sending three animals um, every second week, bi-weekly, down to him. He liked the story. And it just graduated from there. By chance, we actually discovered that our animals are truly grass-fed, on felt, natural pastures. And we are fortunate enough to have fat animals for 52 weeks of the year without any added routine by antibiotics or any growth stimulants. Um, also found that the oxen the meat is a lot ten more tender than what a cow would be because she has to go through hormonal cycles every year. The only thing an ox think of is where's my grass, where's my water, and he's extremely inquisitive and he sleeps a lot. You know, so it makes for a very tender... But for, for an ox, for us of a, that don't know, the that's that's something that his nads have been taken out. Yes, okay. yeah. Now he's been castrated, yeah. uh, usually at a young age, you know, at not to seven days after they're born put a castrating ring around him. So he's got no testosterone. You know, he he's a chilled bloke. You know, he just <laughs> runs around in the felt and has gotten, uh, haven't got a care in the world. Pretty much like uh, like we are when we're 13 years old, just more worried about food and what we're going to do next. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, quite as far as, you know, this has been a, a sensitive topic for a lot of people, especially, um, you know, when I, when I do these shows in the States, and stuff with the hunting shows and stuff but a lot of it's got to do about the whole sustainable um environment with um, you know with the whole methane gas thing with cattle and um we producing more meat than what uh, what is needed in the world and all this sort of stuff so it affects the environment and stuff but as far as the grass-fed side of things concerned is it is it better for the environment or, or, not, or not so much Look, uh, I just want to start off by saying that it's a double-edged sword. Um, do you protect the animal or do you protect the environment? So people need to eat and they need protein, the masses. I know a lot of people will say you 
need to change to plant-based diet all everyone but it's just not sustainable i mean there's a lot of people that's in the lsm groups it's a lot lower that will not be able to afford so we need protein and our motto in our business is eat less meat but eat proper meat um, when it comes to the grass-fed, everything that animal, because we don't even plant pasture, so we don't use fossil fuels to create extra food for, th for the animals, they graze naturally on the natural pastures, and we help them holistically out. You know, we guide them. There's no such thing as a free-range animal in my mind. I'm going to step on some toes here. But the only free-range animals there are are wild birds and humans, because we can get on an airplane and go wherever we want yeah, to. Yeah. In drought situations, you would not see cattle in, in, in a drought situation in this area if it was not for roads and fences and all of that. So we still need to manage them. So there's a human aspect that we have to take care of them so to know what's good for them. But everything that a grass-fed animal in our system eats gets put back into the soil via carbon. Okay. So they excrete um, and whatever they eat gets back and it gets reabsorbed. We're fortunate to be a semi-arid savanna type uh, place. So there's a lot of um, acacia thorn trees. So even the methane that they do excrete. And they do excrete more methane than a feedlot animal because they have to, they're ruminants, you know. They, the, 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 the microbes in the body needs to, the microbes yeah. in the stomach needs to process that hard to digest grasses. Yeah. And they do excrete more methane, but that methane gets taken up by the plants around it as a positive so it's a cycle that repeats itself so basically like your 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 cattle you know this is this was a this was an interesting th thing for me that came up in the states um was that um i, th I think they had an epidemic there i can't i can't quite remember it was something about um where they needed um more meat or s something like it look i don't want to get the the logistics of the thing wrong but so if your cattle are grass-fed um they need more natural land and stuff like that to to live on okay so your holding capacity of that sort of thing is a lot less than what it would be is if you you i mean for instance if uh yeah in queenstown if one hectare is holding three cattle uh, yeah. On Grassford, it's one hectare is holding only one cattle or whatever the case may yeah. be. So our carry capacity, let me just add it to you, our carry capacity at this stage is one on five. So that means one animal has got five hectares, which is equivalent to 10 rugby pitches or soccer fields Okay, and then a year. And then the guys that um, that don't do the grass-fed thing? The feedlots, the feedlots do confine them a bit more. I mean, their regulations state that they, can, that they, ca they only need 20 square meters per animal. So logistically, you're putting more cattle on for the guys that aren't naturally or grass-fed. Yes. But I want to add this, Dill. Without the feedlots, we can never get disgruntled with them. That's why we say eat less meat but eat proper meat because without the feedlots, we will not be able to supply the need of the country with beef. We just literally don't have enough land available yeah. for the beef production. But it's always very important to try and inspire people to buy more proper meat yeah. and for that we still need the feedlots to make people inquisitive it's like giving i use the analogy of if you want to start drinking red wine and you've never had it before yeah and we're a group of 100 people start them off with a lacquer tassenberg yeah you know 50 of them will like it and as the ladder goes the more inquisitive people get yeah um so the feedlots have got a lot of work to do 
to inhi- inhibit their footprint, but we still need to work with them. But as well, I think um, for what you guys are doing, it, th- there's obviously a lot more financial strains on you guys compared to the guys that are mass producing it because they, they're getting their numbers out there quicker than what you guys are because I understand it's quite a process, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, look, it takes three and a half years for that animal on average to get uh, market ready, whereas a feedlot buys in a calf at 18 months, of well, at eight months, eight to 18 months, and their feed cycle is 120 days. That's their turnaround. Yeah. But they have got higher volumes, lower margins. Okay. And in South Africa, and this is not me um, trying to, to boast or anything, yeah. but at, at, at this stage, we are the only um, people in South Africa that produce um, grass-fed, felt-reared, so animals that come straight off natural pastures for 52 weeks of the year. So there's no, if you want to price something, you have to pr- compare apples with apples, but there's no apples to compare it with. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, but there is definitely a premium, and we are getting a bit of a premium on that because of the consumers that are using the animals is, you know, they trust in our traceability system. Yeah. And they, they, they're also the ones that, that want to go that extra mile. They're, they're the guys that are eating the gym every week and watching their weights and that sort of stuff because... And I mean, they enjoy a good steak at, at a bra or whatever the case may be. But you know, Dil, some of the some of the aspects that a lot of our clients are rehabilitated vegetarians, vegetarians that started eating meat. My wife's one of them. Yeah, I know. Old Joe <laughs> likes a, likes a piece of meat there from the egg side, <laughs> and um, also um, the benefits of there's certain there's certain inhibitors in grass-fed beef that normal feedlot beef do not get because the acidity in the stomachs get higher so there's a lot more omega-3 and cla now cla is conjugated lycalin acid okay and that is a, a fatty acid that feeds the neurons that fire your brain and your nerve system so that's very um, encouraging you know a lot of people with ms and a lot of people with that need that to actually help with the um, encouragement. And I'm not saying that other beef do not have it, but as soon as an animal gets put on a higher energy diet, the acidity uh, in its stomach changes, and that changes the ratios of CLA available and omega-3s available. Well, that, that, that was also an interesting thing I picked up, because uh, like I said, Joe was a vegetarian converted, and I was pretty much forced to convert now that she's married to a hunter but <laughs> the, the the thing was was that we we watched the one documentary about all this stuff where we're producing uh, more methane than we should and all this stuff but the interesting thing was was if you if you go back now i'm going back thousands of years now to where uh, cattle and stuff like that roam free and there were a lot less of these um extreme diseases that we've sort of picked up now um, because of the the natural benefit that natural meat has, that can benefit your body in so many different ways. Look, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not they ask conspiracy, so I'm not I'm not a I'm not an expert on it. But it, it was just so interesting to see that, um, for instance, a cow being pumped full of hormones and that sort of stuff. How how bad it is and how not not only it doesn't stop there when it gets packed into um, packaging that uh, got all these. Uh, what's those black pieces of paper under the meat that uh, keep them longer on oh the yeah, tray liners, yeah. Um, that that has an impact, and I, I, I was just, I was just, you know, I was just so gobsmacked by how much badness that we've we've come to put in our meat, and and now 
now all of a sudden we're trying to do a reverse and try and go healthier, which is great, which is great. And no, it's supportive. awesome, you know, the, um, but methane ex- uh, excretion has been there for ages. What's those long neck dinosaurs, the biggest ones? Do you know what their yeah, names are? I don't know. We'll oh, yeah, but uh, the listeners will, yeah, whatever. But they say because they were ruminants as well. Yeah. They say a human being would die if they stood downwind from a, a herd of them. Yes, I did hear that, yeah. So methane excretion has been there forever. And um, yes, you can control it. But like I said, once again, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Who do you want to protect, the animal or the environment? Because yeah. the most environmentally friendly protein you can get is chicken. Chickens is the most yeah. you oh, can really? produce. Yeah, the most protein you can produce per square meter. But so then not look fish at the or anything like that. No, but I'm talking about like. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah. the chickens now, if you're from an animal welfare point of view, those are the one ones whose tails and beaks get docked and you yes. know all of that yeah. thing. So you always have to look at it from both sides and realize. Um, I think the best thing for us to do as human beings is actually to know more. And one thing that irritates me a lot is that someone who claims to be grass-fed like me have to disclose on a label everything that is not in that meat. Okay. Why not turn it around and have meat, but then if it's feedlot meat, they have to disclose everything that is in it. Yeah. Like this is chemical meat that has got antibiotics, Mm. that has got this and that, you know. So we have to change the mindset of people. Okay. Now that makes, uh, I mean, like I said, that makes a lot of sense. And myself being a hunter and stuff, I mean, I I know as far as the methane um, debate goes, uh, I mean, that just in North America alone, I mean, there were herds and herds of buffalo that were letting off probably double than what the North Americans are experiencing now as far as methane is concerned. So that, that theory to me was a little bit um, under the water. But yeah, like I said, just, just what caught me was the, the amount of, um, let me call it bad things that we put in our meat nowadays, just so that we can you know, get the animal out there faster and, and we need to feed our people because we, we as, as worldwide, we are overpopulated. And that's just what it boils down to. We're making more space now. We're cutting more um, open lands and stuff like that to build more higher, bigger, higher buildings, more cities and stuff. So it, uh, you know, it, it's it's a it's an interesting topic as far as um, mass productions concerned as to to our meat and stuff like that. So mm. yeah, you know. Um, but quite now, as far as grass fed, um, you obviously been like you said one of the first in the country to do it what, what like have you guys pretty much peaked at the top of the mountain or is is there so much more that we we're not aware of that you guys can do men uh, in our protocol in the um, grassfield association of south africa protocol there's also a protocol for free range now because there's a premium on the grassfield it takes a bit longer um, bringing in the free range protocol would be a way for us to contest with the lower pricing of feedlot beef but also offer the people a healthier option which would be like gmo free okay um antibiotics no growth stimulants and all of that so that's probably the next step for us um at this stage it is quite a premium market because there's a limited supply but as we go 
in the production system takes a full three years to 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 go full circle and we've made that full circle closed now because we've been in it now since two, uh, 2015 now we are starting to get more volumes so now we are trying to get to a point where it's more accessible to the people on the ground okay but but by volumes it's not only by you guys you guys have got partners yes so what we did straight from the beginning and uh, that's my dad's a very he's a diplomat eh? i call him the philanthropist without the money (laughs) um we, we got together with this idea and we identified seven other farmers right around us neighbors that have been doing the oxen system for a long time and instead of incorporating they trusted us enough to sign a producer's agreement with us so I run the management of that. We know that this guy's got oxen ready that time of the year, so we slaughter from him. And so it goes on, you know, so we've got a schedule and basically a quota per, per person. And it helps out tremendously. And we would like to expand that to get more farmers excited about it. Look, a South African farmer will drop you for 20 cents. But yeah, no, no, I understand. But that. so the premium has to go their yeah, way, you know. Yeah. But apart from that, it is awesome stockmen that we are working with. People that have been doing this for um, third, fourth, fifth generation. And we've given them the opportunity for their product to shine. It's nice, man, when yeah. when someone sees his name on Facebook. His steak was just eaten by Pete Joffy Wood. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Jamie's Italian ordered a fillet steak to for something. And this fillet steak came from Tian Lanpan. You know, yeah. it's great to for yeah. that farmer to get his recognition that's due. And uh, I mean that that that's something they work their whole lives for, you know, it's, is to achieve that pinnacle of their their meat being displayed and yes. put on the best tables, best restaurants, and that sort of stuff. But and it gives them validation in that they've been doing a thing a certain way for so long without anyone noticing, and now all of a sudden they feel good about what they are doing because they are benefiting the environment. They yeah. all are environmentally friendly, progressive, regenerative farmers, you know. Yeah. But I mean. Um, working with these these guys, especially, I mean, just it's awesome that it comes out of the Eastern Cape. But um, you, you, I mean, th- it's a whole community. You guys develop a community around this. It's not it's not just uh, strictly business and stuff. Because I understand you guys have got great relationships with all the guys you you yes. deal with. And so yeah, especially I need to mention Andy Fenner from Frankie Fenner Meat Merchants. I mean, um, he's a great guy. Eh? Also a vegetarian turn meat monger so oh really eh? yes that's in cape town right? in cape town yeah. yes yes and when we started with andy at a small shop um in church street and he's expanded quite significantly processing plant with three four four butcheries okay yeah and, and he only sells our beef and andy comes down i go and visit them and andy and andrew and nicole and them come up and come and visit us as well yeah and they love meeting with the community uh, we it's it's opened up so many doors for us to you know i'm experiencing the city life every now and then as well my rural ass aren't just staying in (laughs) queenstown anymore you know and uh it's open doors my dad also um he gets to meet people we're talking to certain places with the export my dad's um the chairman of the commodity chamber of south african agriculture so um with his exposure there it's brought us a lot closer to what's really happening in the world you know i'd love to go to the states when you go to nevada or wherever yeah. next time just yeah, take yeah. me with you no 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 that's a definite because um you can you know, but uh, i mean they just do things so right over there as far as um 
let's talk a little bit about agricultural as far as that's concerned over there i mean they they i mean they they the top guys eh? i mean if you if you want to look at efficiency and that sort of stuff i mean those guys do it properly eh? no they do we've also but we've got a responsibility because we've got a labor issue here okay is that we have to we we have to we, we're actually obligated to use labor more than technology yeah um just so that we can fill it but you know when it comes to taking a piece of land and making it effective mm. there is a hell of a lot we can learn from the yeah. americans eh? yeah. it really is but quit it's interesting that you bring up the labor issue now we we we've recently now been under fire about hunting and ethics and stuff like that you know obviously the whole cecil the lion thing has created this huge uproar in the states and it's still going on i mean geez we've 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 we're really sitting with a big problem here but something interesting came up the other day i was in johannesburg and i was sitting at one of the restaurants there and uh, obviously one of these five-star restaurants and stuff and they had a i ordered fish fish of the day and it came through to me on a menu and next year they had a little barcode where i could scan it and it told me exactly where that fish mm. came from uh, which fishing boat even the the owner of the fishing boat abalobi I, th- I can't remember what the name was. I think it's Abalobi app, yeah. But yeah, it could it could be that. Yes. Um, and but I mean, you just are, you literally scan it on your camera on your phone, and it pops up on the website, and it, it was unbelievable. And 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 there's there's a sense that you feel so good about it. And now us as hunters, that's what we're trying to do because we're trying to make these people aware that look, when you come over and you shoot a kudu, you shoot a fellow deer, whatever the case may be, you, you, you're not just supporting the outfitter, you're supporting Courtman, the, the skinner, the, yes. you know, the trackers and everyone. That's so, great. So as far as a, a grass-fed thing, because um, like you said, we've, we've got to use n- labor and stuff. Is, it, is there a market for something like that going we forward? We are doing that. Um, okay. Yeah, we supply processed meat here from Queenstown to Johannesburg, to Jackson's Real Food Market. Okay. And uh, we've gone through a process with them where we actually print a QR code on the barcode. And on on the packaging? On the eh? packaging okay. yeah, of the meat. So whenever you buy, you can scan the packaging and with your QR code, okay. um, your QR reader on your phone, and it tells you exactly where that animal was born, where that animal was raised, when it was slaughtered, who it belonged to, and what its tag number was, what its weight was when it was slaughtered, so it gives um, it gives the consumer power, you know, yes. to know that this thing was aged X amount of time. Yeah. Um, you know, it was that age and that. But I love your idea of even adding in. We do add in the farmer. Yeah. But from a labor point of view, the pride, that's yeah. what we must try to establish, you know. Because um, that, that, that was something we picked up is that, um, you know, we, we, we want to give, um, at the end of the day, we want to give the hunters from the States that are coming over, that are going to start hunting, um, we want to give them a choice of which community they would like to support. Because for us, the, the, the biggest thing was was that, okay, yes, you can go and hunt through. There's so many outfitters out there that you can go and hunt through. And yes, all of them do do their fair bit to charity and stuff like that. But there, there are, you, you, you create, um, how can I say, you create a uh, sort of like a welfare around your personal name. So... For instance, I mean, we've got clients that constantly come out and they want to uh, they want to donate to a specific school in Stagstrom and stuff like that. Now, what we're trying to do is that if you hunt a kudu or whatever, a certain percentage of that does go towards 
charity of your choice. So whether it be a school, whether it be that. So now, but what people don't understand is the farmers, um, laborers, and stuff like that. They, their charity is really at home. Mm. I mean, I mean, y- your boys and stuff like that. Their, their charity starts at home, and yes. by you guys giving them jobs and providing for them, that's that's. I mean, that's a charity in its in its own way. You know? Yeah. Look, we we become more of guardians of yeah. of of our staff. You know, um, every single morning in the week, I drive with my bucky full of kids. Yeah. To go to school, I drop them off at school. Okay. You know, um, and when there's a problem or whatever, and there's no ambulance close, you know, you become the doctor. You become, yeah. you become the know-how. So. It it's a very integral part, and we'd love for to get to give more to our farm laborers. But you know, cash flow is just as as yeah. it is. You know, mm. and whatever we can do to improve their lives. Mm. Um, that comes with some help from outside. Unfortunately, South African agriculture is not subsidized at all. So uh, they say the farmer is the only th- only one who buys everything at retail and sells everything at wholesale. You know. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, what you say. Yeah, it's a bit of a tough one. But you were talking about, and I know the Americans will know the name Alan Savory. Yes. Alan Savory, um, the Savory Institute, and what's very excited. You were talking about. Um, Charitable organizations around, yeah. Now, the Olive Leaf Foundation, I was lucky enough to be asked to be on their board of, uh, on their board as their marketing director because we're going to get some of their cattle coming through. They've taken the Siskai area, and they've taken 37 villages. They've started with five of them, and they are regenerating those villages, and they have had extremely good success. They've so when you say regenerating, like helping out in the farms? They... Go to the community, get the buy-in from the community, yeah. save a piece of their area for the winter, which they don't do in the communal areas. Okay. And they also give them a, a guidance and advice on how to herd. They get herders involved. Yeah. And they actually herd their animals without putting fences on, um, well-trained herders, and they herd the animals into a grazing pattern. Okay. And within the first two years, they doubled their wool check from those five oh, really, yeah. uh, from those five communities no. i get goosebumps as i'm sitting here <laughs> you know it's amazing so the next yeah. step what we're going to do now is to encourage their beef production to follow suit so that they can start getting oxen onto the felt and we will then market it mm-hmm. as Siskai regenerative oxen you know grass-fed because there's the constraints there is they do not have the extra capital to even think of feeding them any hormones or anything because they can't afford it yeah no for sure so it's actually the best the best cattle quality cattle that you are assured of being safe and thing comes from the siskai but they need assistance yeah they were lucky enough that alan savory's institute actually got in there and i'm quite excited about that so well that that's one of the biggest things as well i mean geez we went we went hunting on the fish river there um right up towards the mouth of it and I remember going down into these extremely rich and fertile soils and there was just fields and fields and fields of mealies and butternut and uh, pumpkins and all these sort of things, but they just didn't have the resources. I mean, they, they, we had people, the, the roads were so bad to get down there um, that we had we, we, we passed people carrying the stuff on their heads and all this sort of stuff. And I was just thinking, I was like, well, with you know with a bit of help and stuff they can do so much more with such great land mm. i mean there's such good land there but unfortunately they just don't have the resources and, stuff. and the willpower is there it yeah. is there no but definitely. unfortunately in a society that's crippled like ours 
Um, what happens a lot in our area especially is that the middle class that wants to go back there actually hijacks the people that's dependent on the soil because they come in and they buy cattle because they think cattle can just roam everywhere where they want and they overstock and overgraze. Yeah. And it's the uh, same thing with putting up a fence. The fence will get stolen. So they, there's a lot of social issues. But with the only way, there's two ways that it can be that it can be rectified. That is time and money. Okay. Um, time from people who's got the know-how to offer them assistance and all of that, and charitable money coming in from wherever. So, yeah, if you ever do come to South Africa. Talk to old Dill, you know, talk to someone that you know and ask them, let's go and see these places because those are the jewels and um, those are the people that's going to be able to supply that extra food. Remember now, they are dependent on food, but they can't um, produce it themselves. Yeah. You know, so if they can start producing as well, imagine what the difference in the world will be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I mean, we, we go down to the Transcar, obviously, we've got a beach house there and stuff, and they that's extremely rural, but I mean, they, yeah. they just survive and I mean, they just, they just do their thing. And, and like you said, the willpower is, it's not like it's lacking. It's, it's definitely there. Mm. And for some, for best parts of it, even the knowledge is of, of some, I mean, to produce lands and, and some of the cattle that they do with minimal resources and stuff, it's, it's, mm. it's actually something special, but I, I wanted to chat to you and we, you know, no, this is an extremely sensitive topic here in South Africa. So sorry for putting you on the spot, but, I mean, as a young farmer now, you're 30, yeah? Yeah. You, you've just established yourself in 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 an awesome section in the in the market that's non-existent. But this land expropriation, it's been a question on everyone's lips, and I, and I, and I think that the international community gets it wrong when they interpret a lot of the things that have been said on the news and all this sort of stuff. So. As a young South African, white South African, what what is your view and opinion on this this land thing? Look, it's there is definitely going to be something that's going to happen. I mean, it has to happen, but it's got a lot more, in my opinion, and the people that I've spoken to and through my dad's contacts and all of that. It's got a lot more to do with affordable housing at the place where you stay, where you work. Um, and it's a lot, got a lot more to do with um, in the cities and that, you know, in the urban areas. Because people have to travel enormous amounts of kilometers to get to work. So I think it will definitely start there. But from my point of view, I'm not going to start selling and running away. We must actually look for solutions on how, if, if I can help one or two or three um farmers that are emerging farmers that have the willpower and that do not have the resources or the government contacts to get land i feel i've done my part and i will stand my ground on that you know so from my point of view if it's going to happen let it happen but let it just happen in a fair way where your contribution to the society is actually measured there as well Uh, in a sense that when you are have a productive farm and you are producing on that farm. There's no reason for anyone to take it away from you. Um, it's it's a it's a very difficult point, and a lot of people feel different about it. But I'm not going to sit on my stoop and, and wait to have my guns loaded and and rage all out war. Um, it's all about the 
your commitment and your stand on it that will make a difference in the world. And I think there we must trust the organized agriculture of South Africa and the government to make sane choices. Um, I think that conversation is still a far away. Land grabs are not going to happen. We were very fortunate in Queenstown to have two attempted land grabs and our station commander, Colonel Ngalo, got in there and handled it like a superstar. Okay. He really handled it like a superstar. Um, and the message was sent out clearly that land grabs will not happen. So if land expropriation does happen, it will give you enough chance, at least it won't happen without compensation to on a, um, how can I say, on an unfair basis. Um, I think we must just keep believing keep buying more ground and expanding because if it doesn't happen then what are you going to do then yeah no, for sure. <laughs> but but you know quite this uh, this is something and uh you know we've just had elections and stuff and obviously so ramaphosa you know I, I i remember going back many many years when my dad was still around he still said he said this is one of the cleverest guys out there that to any he, and he should definitely be running the anc but He's not stupid, and he, and, he, and he knows exactly what needs to be done in South Africa to get the economy going again and stuff. Because he is. He's a very successful businessman, and he's proven that to, to all of us and stuff. But what concerns me, and I'm, I'm sure concerns many South Africans, is, is that we now have got the EFF that have been saying a lot of things. And now in this recent election, they've just gotten stronger. So it puts us in a position where, you know... And I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of the farm murders are politically motivated. So it puts us in a position now where this political party is getting stronger and stronger and they're putting more and more pressure on the youth to do these sort of things like land grabs, um, committing a murder or whatever. Because they do. They have got power. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. They, they, they're very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Does it not worry you that any of this... I mean, you, you've just started your family now. Does it not worry you that this might all have an effect on you at some stage? Yes, Dil, uh, I can share with you. My mom was attacked on the farm. Uh, in That was in 2004. So our family have been through a trauma like that. Okay. Um, I was 12 years old. It's quite... Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it wasn't 2004. Sorry, it was 2000 and whatever. It yeah. was uh, 2001, yeah. And so we have we have gone through a trauma like that. And what we've learned out of that is that can't live in fear. Um, I do honestly believe that we have, it's a society problem and I'm not stepping on any toes and it's horrible, these farm murders that do happen. Yeah. But there's always an underlying situation in an area where it happens. I agree with you. 100%. Um, I really honestly do think that our, in our area, I feel safe. When I do go away and I'm not at home at night, I do not leave Lindry to sleep over there, of okay. course. My wife then goes to my mother-in-law or to her sister in town. And there is some precautions that need to be taken. But, hell, I don't even know how to pee in a toilet, man. I go outside and <laughs> I do my thing on the grass. You know, I'm not living in fear. Yeah. Um, and that's up to us as a community, as a farming community, a greater farming community, to, first of all, self-protect with the camera systems that we're putting in and all of that. Okay. And second of all, to stay face with the community, not to jump to conclusions and have a big riot, but rather talk it out. Because 
at least in our area, that Kosa people that we work with are people that you can negotiate with. Yeah. So as long as the community is around you, they will help sort out these scum. So I'm not afraid, Dylan, not in our area. Well, well it's interesting you say that. I mean, last year when we... Um was it last year? I think it was maybe maybe two years ago when we had the the rhino poaching incident. I mean, it was a community that flushed these guys out and actually told us. So I agree with you. I think giving back to the community is extremely important. And like you said, with the Kosas yeah, in in the Eastern Cape, it's it's, it's something very special because you sh- you share. You know, it's sort of like one hand washes the other type exactly, thing. And, exactly. And, and exactly. Yeah. That's what the word is. <laughs> and. Um, and they've got a good understanding, and and you know, a lot of them, especially the emerging uh, farmers that I've met, and I, and I have a lot of business dealings with, or, or I go hunting on their farms and stuff, are willing to listen and learn, and 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 that for me excites me because you know they back they back the white community, but they also back themselves in some sort of sense. You know, so Dil, just on that with the young farmers and the guys fortunate enough that have got the willpower to actually. Um, farm and go out for it the biggest problem is the corruption in the country yeah the biggest problem is that a lot of these farms are lying dormant that it was given to a brother or a sister of a, of a, a, a i've got a lot of emerging farmers that you cannot believe what great stockmen they are and to be yeah. a farmer and to be a stockman is a different thing yeah. a stockman is someone who knows cattle and i'm telling you i've met some guys who knows cattle better than i do oh really yeah, yeah. but they just don't get the opportunity because the farms available gets given to yeah. cronies of the government. You know? Okay. No, I understand. But, you know, and that's 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 something we've got to overcome. But, I mean, geez, uh, for, for, for a young farmer, it must have been some of the hardest years coming up now. I mean, like I said, mentioned earlier, we've just had the worst drought ever re- probably recorded. I'm not quite sure. But, um, and now, obviously, with a lot of the farm murders and stuff and the political, uh, how can I say, effect that it's had, for for the upcoming guys that that want to get in back into farming or take over their father's farms and stuff like that, uh, what would you have a message for them? Yes, no, um, I would encourage them to do so. I would just encourage them to do it with an open mind. Okay. Um, learn from your dad. Learn from your grandfather. Take what they have done on the farm to heart and better it. But better, better your relationships with your neighbours. We are... In our area, the Chris Harney area, we are 0.75% white people. Okay. And that is a stat that Stats SA brought out two years ago. Yeah. might even be worse off now. So know that you need to encourage your neighbors. And you have to teach what you have learned by your, from your dad and your grandfather. And whoever was your mentor, you have to pass that on. Mm-hmm. So as long as you keep passing on knowledge, you will gain a greater deal from it. Yeah. To just play pretty much an open mind and stuff, because I, I I think that's that's something that's missing in, in especially the youth of today. I know I'm to blame for it sometimes when it comes to business decisions and stuff. I'm not a good listener, and I think I think that's 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 our biggest problem in in society, especially in our age group, is that we're not willing to listen as much as what we should, because there are guys that are out there that have done it for long periods of yeah. time and they've done very well at it, but um. But yeah, quit. Um, just getting towards the end now. Um, anything from your side as far as like um, the sustainability from from the grass-fed cattle 
I just want to to clear this up here because I know this is going to be asked, especially uh, on the links and stuff that get on. What part of the meat in the cattle that you guys do not use? Let's let's start there and then tell me everything else that you guys use from. Yeah, look, our our biggest market is um, we really try and do nose to tail butchering, but our biggest market is for the hindquarters. Um, we then keep the four quarters of the animals and we sell the higher end parts like the brisket and the prime rib and the trimmings that comes out the chuck and the short trip i also get a market for every now and then but the excess trimmings luckily we sit in a community where low-cost meat is actually appreciated um, i've got um, contracts with some of the places mabuvulo who takes the trimmings and then Queensland Frozen Foods who takes the bones and it gets sold at a lower cost. So our costing must be quite on the ball, you know. <laughs> um, but we really try. We only slaughter per order. Okay. Um, so so if I do get an order in, I always encourage people, you know, especially if it's a private client and they want steaks because everyone wants steaks and the fillet's only 1% of the carcass. Everyone always wants fillet for some reason. Um, but it's 1% of the carcass, you know. So I always encourage people to, whatever they buy, steak-wise, that must only be a third of their order. The, okay. the, the two-thirds of the order must be either patties, burros, you know, mince, goulash, whatever you want, I can make it for you. Yeah. Um, but I encourage people because that's another problem with our society, it really is a problem with our society is that we always we are too afraid to try new things yeah and we are always stuck in our ways you always go to the steakhouse and you order the same bloody cut of steak yeah if you eat a kilogram of fillet a week that means you eat the fillet of an animal every three weeks okay so you can work it out for yourself yeah or the death of how many animals you are uh, yeah. you you are uh, responsible for you yeah. know so from sustainability wise point of view we need to adapt our eating habits we have to use more of the animal okay and then uh, just just lastly what 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 um uh obviously everything's got a shelf life and stuff like that but what would you I, I know this is not every question you guys would like to to answer to but just just for interest sake what what do you reckon is your spoilage percentage uh, and i'm talking about in the supermarket type thing now so something that's expired on the shelves or so, something like that yeah we look we age our meat 14 days before we process it and then we do age custom age for some of the other guys up to 28 days so that already just by cutting it you have the pellicle you call it the pellicle you have about a one percent loss there okay you can use that pellicle into other things yeah. you know i don't i don't uh, you i know some of your cl uh, guys will love pellicle burgers and that but the funk is a bit strong for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we cut it up into dogments and that but our um in jackson's the spoilage of shell meat that reaches the shelf life is five percent okay but that gets offered at a 50 but they <coughs> excuse me they've got an e-tree as well okay so that helps a lot. So from a sustainability point of view, we waste very, very little. So it's not like a meat spoiled and you throw it away or anything. You no. can use it afterwards. It's just it's for shelf life purposes. Yes, yes. Quite cool. Well, um, 
where can they get hold of you? Have you guys got social media? I know you guys have got an awesome Instagram page. So. Yeah, yeah. We at Langside uh, at Langside Meats. Okay. Yeah, we've got a website www.langsidemeats.co.za and you'll see our whole family there um, on the page. Each one of we are a family-run business, and each one of our email addresses are on there. Go and check it out. Okay. Um, and Facebook and Instagram. Facebook also Langside Meats. Okay. Cool. Yes. Well, Kurt, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You've yeah. answered a lot of my questions I've always wanted to have answered. So I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. And thank you so much no, for Thanks, Dylan. Good luck with this, man. I'm excited to see how you progress. And we'll definitely have a chat again. Like a 100%. Oh, thanks, man. Pleasure.